The greatest problem in our world today is not war or disease. It's not political instability or humanitarian crisis. The greatest problem our world today faces is lostness. People who do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Right now, billions of people around the world are living without the hope found in Jesus. For over 70 years, the pastors, churches, and missionaries of the Baptist Bible Fellowship International have bridged the gap between the gospel and the lost. Throughout the decades, over $1.3 billion has been given to missions through the BBFI Mission Office. Millions of people have put their faith in Jesus, and tens of thousands of churches have been started all around the world. While we celebrate these victories, we recognize that our mission given by Jesus is far from complete. It's been said that there are more lost people living in the world today than ever before, as the global population surpasses eight billion people. The needs are great, the opportunities are endless, but the laborers are few. Will you join us as we continue to bridge the gap between the Great Commission and the greatest problem our world has ever seen, lostness? There are a lot of problems in the world today, are there not? Just turn the news on and watch your social media feed and you know but I appreciated that video and that reminder that while there are a lot of organizations that are doing good, and I'm for building schools and clean water and feeding the hungry, the ultimate need of the world is the good news that Jesus Christ is the Savior. That we can go from being lost to being found. That we can go from... from under the condemnation of sin to forgiven and find eternal life. The answer is in Jesus and the mission to get the gospel, to solve the problem that the world faces, it's up to us. It's up to us. Could you imagine if we were the only church in the world? The only one. We were it. That would be weird, right? <laughs> but just think about it for a minute. Because when this gospel began, there was only one local church. There were about a hundred people gathered together in Jerusalem. About a hundred people in Jerusalem. And Jesus gave these words that we've read about each week now in Acts 1. And verse number 8, Jesus said to a gathering of just a few people, But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be, what's the word? Witnesses. You will be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and the, uh, unto the uttermost part of the earth. 
That was not given to a group like you just saw in the video, the Baptist Bible Fellowship. That is just, by the way, one of several missions organizations that we as a church have partnered with over the years. There's, it's not the only group that we're a part of, but they are one of the, in, among independent Baptist churches, the Baptist Bible Fellowship has been a leader in missions for years, and we're very proud to partner with them. And, but did you, what was the number? $5 billion or a billion, I don't remember what it was, over a billion dollars given to missions. That, there was no such infrastructure. There was no such network when Acts 1-8, those words came out of the mouth of Jesus. It was just one group of people who took the responsibility seriously. And they said they personally believed that it was up to them. And this was Jesus' plan. So last week's map, if you look at the Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world, it began in just that little ring. And then it went out into Judea and Samaria. But they didn't get out into Samaria. Last week's message was about mobilizing this mission. Jesus gave the mission, and now how was it mobilized? Well, it began with some, if you remember last week, we talked about God bringing some uncomfortable situations into the life of the church. In the first eight chapters of Acts, you saw difficulty came, persecution came, the church was scattered, and the gospel got into Samaria. But then the mission was to go to the uttermost parts of the world, the uttermost part of the earth. And so that today, what I want to give you is part two of this message, mission mobilization. You see, that, mis that mission in Acts 1 and uh, verse number 8, to go into all the world. It's a great mission. But you and I have to, we have to take our personal responsibility. And so I ask you this morning just to consider what part do you have in the mission of Christ? Now, I want to give you this statement. A healthy church is a missions-mobilized church. Now, is that the only thing that makes a healthy church? Is that what I'm saying? Of course not. Of course not. That one thing alone won't make a church healthy. But if a church is healthy, it will be a missions-mobilized church. It just will be. If a church is, a church can have everything right. They can have their, they can have wonderful music and great fellowship and good biblical teaching. But if the church is not mobilized for the mission, it's not a healthy church. Yeah, it stays here. Everything we have stays here. Now, what I want you to, what I want to show you today if, if we gave part one last week, I want to move a little bit further in the book of Acts today. And what I want to show you is that this concept of missions is not something that we originated. It's not something that some denomination decided like, hey, this would be a really good idea if we came up with kind of like a Christian marketing plan, right? Like, how are we going to do this? How are we going to accomplish this? This is the pattern. What our church is participating in, in our missions program, is the pattern that was established right in the book of Acts. So I want to pick up the story, part two in Acts chapter number 13. So if you take your Bibles and move with me to Acts chapter 13.
Now, what has happened, what has transpired since the last, our last study in Acts is obviously the gospel made it, the message of Jesus made it into Judea, into Samaria, and it actually kept moving north until it reached the northernmost part of the region, which was the city of Antioch. So, if, and I'll, I'll put a map up in a few minutes, so we won't do it yet, but if you can imagine Israel as, you, as where it exists even today, and as you go north along the Mediterranean Sea, you come to the very northernmost part, that's as far as the gospel has made it, into a city called Antioch in Syria. Now, what I want you to see is we're going to see, and many people have done this, they've used the church at Antioch as a study case for a missions-oriented or a missions-mobilized church. The church at Antioch took the mission of the gospel very seriously. So let's read together uh, Acts chapter 13 and verses 1 through 4. And I want you to see, I'm just going to show you three things about this church at Antioch today. And I want to apply it to Mount Greylock Baptist Church. Antioch, the church at Antioch, was a strong church. It was a sensitive church. And because of that, it became a sending church. You'll see this. You, I probably don't even need to spend a lot of time on these points because you're going to see those three as we read this text. Antioch in Syria was a strong church. It was a sensitive church. And because of that, it became a sending church. And that is what we need to be. So just let's just take this and let's apply it directly to ourselves this morning. Are you ready? Ready? Here we go. Acts 13, verse number 1. Now, there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. Now, I'll show you the map, and you have it on the front of your handout. This is commonly referred to as Paul's first missionary journey. This is the very first time the gospel is going to go into the uttermost parts of the known world at that time. Now, it's actually Paul and Barnabas who go. But you see, uh, the Israel-Jerusalem is not on this map. It would be down here. And the gospel moved, as I said, about as far north as Antioch. Now, if you study the Bible, you could get confused because there's two Antiochs. Just like there's a Springfield in every state in, in the United States, I think, there were a couple of Antiochs. All right? 
So this is Syrian Antioch, and this becomes the first great missionary church. And so as the journey goes, what you see in chapter 13 and chapter 14 is Paul and Barnabas, they board a ship and they head down to the island of Cyprus. They make their way up to, uh, up to the regions to the north, and so you are now in all these cities. And they travel through these regions, and they don't make it quite up into Turkey yet. That's going to be the Macedonian call in the second, the second, um, uh, the second missionary journey, as we would think of. Uh, and this is, hang on one second. I'm just going to double check my, uh, how many of you got a map section in your Bible? You got that there? You can see a lot of this. It's fascinating because this part of the world, so uh, th that's what I thought. I'm, I'm, I'm misspeaking. This is Asia Minor. This is Turkey. This is where the modern-day Turkey is where the gospel has gone at this point. His next journey is going to take the gospel into Macedonia, is into Greece. Now, isn't it interesting, by the way? This is all just side. Isn't it interesting that in the parts of the world right now where we think of the very least gospel witness, Middle Eastern countries, right? This is where the church started. These are the people who were the first Christians. And even up until the very earliest centuries of our millennium, in the 200s and 300s and 400s, there was a super strong Christian presence in modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor, down in North Africa. I mean, that's where the church was. Now, as historical reference, it was the Islamic movement that literally obliterated the church through violence in that region of the world. And the church moved into, into um, Europe. Which is interesting, though, because Christianity is not an ethnic religion. Don't let anybody tell you that Christianity is a Western religion or it's a white person's religion. Nothing can be further from the truth. It began in the Middle East and North Africa. That's where the church exploded right from the beginning. This is how missions began. And in fact, something else you're gonna, you'll, you'll see here, go back to Acts chapter 13. I talk about this being a strong church. This was a very diverse church. Okay, You look at the leaders in the church at Antioch. Barnabas, we know, is from, um, is from Jerusalem. So is uh, Saul spent a lot of time in Jerusalem. But some of these people, Simeon, that was called Niger, he's most likely, based on his name, um, uh, most likely, if you study the etymology of the names here, he's most likely from some region in Africa, probably North Africa. You, found, you find Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean. Then you find someone who had been brought up, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. He was, so it's not just an ethnically diverse church, but it's a church that's diverse in economic and political status. This guy grew up in a, in a political official's house. So very diverse, strong church at Antioch. But there's something else about the strength of the church. These guys were prophets and teachers. Barnabas. Simeon, Lucius, Menaean, Saul. These men 
are anchors at the church at Antioch. And they're noted for their ability to teach and to proclaim the word of God. So if you had, went, if you had gone and visited the church at Antioch, you'd have been like, wow, you guys, you've got a lot of strong teaching here. There's some great men who are leading this church. Isn't it also cool? There wasn't just one person that stood out in the church. That's another mark of a healthy church and a strong church. It wasn't just one person. And I've got to tell you, I am super just to, to uh, because part of missions is to challenge our church, but also part of missions is to encourage our church. And there is a lot of strength at Mount Greylock Baptist Church. I'm going to tell you that right now. You need to realize that, that among you is some strength. And I could point out all of the strengths in our midst, but I have just been super impressed with some of the young men in our church who recently, huh, I, didn't, I wasn't going to talk about this, but they've recently like stepped up and like done some amazing things. Like I've had the opportunity to go and see our, like we have, a, there is a light, there's a bright light shining at the MCLA campus right now. And it's not just because of our church. There's other Christians in our community that are part of it. But we have young men in our church that are, they've graduated from college already. They go there on a Wednesday night to encourage the Christians on campus. Or they just didn't, <laughs> my brother's laughing at me. It's okay. We'll just let that, we'll let it slide. All right. So we've got men who, we've got, we, this, this year, this, like, all right, I'm just so off the cuff here now. So just forgive me. But like this year, it was a hard thing. Usually if I put better notes together, I don't just ramble and get emotional like this. So, but forgive me. This year it was hard for us because the whole, the, like, did you see in this passage, there's all these five guys working together, right? And what happens? They're praying and they're fasting and God says, hey, I want these two guys to leave. Barnabas and Saul, they need to leave. Now the church was excited to see them leave, but do you think the church felt the impact of their leaving? Yeah? Like I got to, last Saturday I had a phone call with Micah Hare and just listened to how God is using them in California. I was not, like, I was not excited to see them leave our church and go to California in my flesh, right? But they said they were following God's will for their life. And I said, well, where God wants you to go, that's where we want you to go. Amen, church? That's it. And so they left... And it's a, it, 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 if we, and then at the same time as that happened, we had a ministry that they had started, and I saw the uh, Travis and 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 uh, Sarah and Cal and Jimmy step up and say, "Hey, we're we're going to run this thing now. We're going to run this thing now." And like this is how God works. The program on our, our Wednesday night program is actually stronger than ever before. It's amazing how God does that. He used one group of people to lay a foundation, and he moved them on, and then God brought some other people in to say, hey, we're going to keep this going, and then God blesses it. Because this is a mission. There's a mission. We're all mobilized for the mission. And I can point to other things. I remember, Jane, you gave testimony last week about how God used our, the church to encourage you during your difficult time. And I remember hearing just a few weeks ago about people in our church that, that they just decided, some of, some of you, you didn't even know Jane all that well. Some of you are a little bit newer. 
And people just said, hey, we're going to go visit her. We're going to go encourage her. There is a, that's a strength in the body. All of these things. And I could name other examples. There's a strength. That's what the church at Antioch was. But it, wasn't, it, it was a strength that understood their purpose. And I just want to encourage you, if you've not got on board with the mission, there's a place for you too. There's a place for you to get plugged in as well. And there is a work that God is going to accomplish through us here. And it's not just about one person. It's not just about the guy that stands up and gives the message. Right? It's not, it, that's not it. The strength of the church is in the body. It's in the body. The, in Antioch was a strong church. But then it was a sensitive church. What's happening? What's happening? In verse number two. As they ministered, oh, this is really good. As they ministered to each other, as they ministered to the lost, as they ministered to who? So all of our serving is to the Lord Jesus Christ. All of our serving is to Christ. We offer him our service. So please don't forget that. Paul would say, don't be weary in well-doing. You'll get weary if you think you're serving me, or if I think I'm serving you, or if you think you're serving somebody else, you'll get weary. But if you remember, as I serve you, as you serve someone else, we are not serving each other primarily, but our service is to Christ, that he receives that. Boy, then we'll, be, then we'll have the strength of the Holy Spirit. They're sensitive. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted. There are men in that church and women in that church of prayer. And they're spending time fasting. So, yes, they were busy serving, but they did not forget time, they did not forget to take time to listen to the voice of the Lord, to hear him speak, to hear him move in their midst. And can you imagine that prayer meeting? They're having this prayer meeting, and the Holy Ghost says, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. Now, I don't know how it happened. It doesn't tell us if it was out loud. It doesn't tell us anything. But there they are, other than God spoke to their hearts. So you got all these, all these people together praying, and they're saying, God, I don't know. It doesn't even tell us what exactly they're praying for. But somehow the Holy Spirit spoke to each and every one of them. And so when they were done with that prayer meeting, they knew that Barnabas and Saul couldn't stay any longer. They had to go. Because God was calling them to do something special. But God called Barnabas and Saul. You've got to be sensitive when God's calling you to go, but you've also got to be sensitive when God's called you to stay. Right? Because there, there were several men mentioned. It was only two of them that God sent out. Right? So we, we don't go because it's our own idea. And, you, and, and this is always a struggle. If you have a tender heart for God during missions conference, you'd be like, I don't know. Do I stay or do I go? Do I, is God calling me to be a missionary? He might call you. If you have a tender heart, that, that, that struggle is good. 
just surrender to him. Say, God, if you want me to go, I will go. And if not, I will stay. God will make your steps clear. God will provide the, the light. Because God didn't just bankrupt the church and send everybody out so there's no strength left. He, he kept the core there and he sent two of them out and they left. But they're sensitive to God's voice. They're sensitive to God's spirit. Listen, all of us are called to be part of this mission. Some of us are called to send people and some of us are called to be the ones to go. There's a great responsibility on the part of each. Because what you'll see in verse number three, let's read verse number three. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and they sent them away. Now I'm going to talk in just a minute about the responsibilities of the sender. But as we think about this, each and every one of us is called to either be the ones who, who lay hands. The laying out of hands, by the way, is a symbolic, uh, it was a symbolic exercise to show that the, we want the Holy Spirit to be with you and we send you out. So they would pray and lay hands and send them out. It's a beautiful thing. We still do that in different circumstances. So they lay, they lay hands on them, they send them out. Each of, so there had to be this sensitivity, and you and I, we need the same sensitivity. When it comes to the mission to get the gospel to the utter, uttermost, am I a goer, or am I one of the ones who is sending? Now, most of you are, based on sheer numbers and statistics, most of us are senders. Most people are senders. But don't assume that you're not called to go if you've not asked God, if you've not presented yourself to him. But are you sensitive to your sending? Are you sensitive? If I, and I would not do this. I don't, I don't like these kind of tactics. But I wonder, if, I, if, if hypothetically I were to say, oh, I don't, I don't have it, but we've asked us to every week pray about faith promise missions, Right? And if I were to say, raise your hand if you spent time, I'm not saying this, but if I were, raise your hand if you spent time this week praying about your faith promise commitment, would, your, would you be able to raise your hand? That's the question. Because how seriously do we, are we listening to the voice of God? Because if, if, it, if we're not careful, what happens is like, yep, it's October or November, we always have missions month, we always bring people in. It can just become routine. Are we really sensitive in listening to the voice of God? If you say, oh, no, I, 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 I don't know. Well, maybe just do something. Maybe it's, maybe it's not because you're calloused or hard or cold. Maybe you're just busy and the devil uses that busyness to distract you. Maybe you just need to set a reminder on your phone. Pray. Pray about missions. Pray about faith promise. Just set the reminder and, and do it. You won't offend me if you set the reminder right now. <laughs> but, but say, Lord, I, yeah, I do. This is something I need to be sensitive to. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. It's a strong church in Antioch. It's a sensitive church. And now we'll spend the rest of the time looking at how the sending works. How the sending works. 
In verse number 3 and 4, verse 3, And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, this is cool too, the church, who sent? Church of the Holy Spirit. Who sent? The Church of the Holy Spirit. Both, right? They both did. The church sent, had a responsibility to send, but it was through the power of the Holy Spirit. So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And in just a few pages here, you see, just a few pages in your Bible, you see a whole missionary journey complete. Travel spent. You'd read about churches established. I'd encourage you to read this, these whole, both of these chapters. I'm going to show you a couple of things, but they're important. So let's think about this in the last part of the message today. What are the responsibilities of the sending church? What are the responsibilities of the ones who send? Well, I think it's pretty clear there's two areas. There's prayer support and there's financial support. For people to uproot their lives and get on a ship and travel and spend all of their time traveling, it takes a lot of money and resources. Would you not agree? Yeah. You can't just, you cannot just personally fund that. Can you imagine? Some people are like, well, why don't they just work and raise their own money? Can you imagine sitting down for the job interview? Like, okay, so, uh, you know, tell me about your relevant skills. Oh, I can do this, I can do that, all right. And uh, how long do you plan on being here? I don't know. I'm going to get this church going, and then I'm on to the next town. So I could be, I, I might work for you for a month, could be three months, maybe a year. Depends how things go. Depends, they might actually run me out of town, to be honest with you. So we'll see how it goes. Now, sometimes Paul would set up shop and, and work. He had to, because nobody would... But it wasn't because he wanted to. It was because nobody would support him at the time. Can you imagine that? Like, I'm pretty sure if the Apostle Paul showed up at our church and was like, hey, I, I need some support, we'd all be like, oh, yeah, what can we do, sir? Right? Yes, sir. But in their day, it was the same as today. He was, he was Paul, and people didn't, they didn't always respect him. And they had their own ideas, like American Christians do about, well, I don't know why we need to give Paul any money to do this, after all. I mean, who does he think he is? Doesn't the guy know how to make tents, after all? Can he do that? I mean, he dealt with this kind of stuff. But he spoke about the, the responsibility of the sender in 1 Corinthians 9. So let's look at it really quick, a few verses in 1 Corinthians 9 that talk about the responsibility of the sender. So here's what's cool. As you turn there, as you turn there, in Acts, in the book of Acts, you're reading a historical narrative. You're reading a telling of the accounts as they happened. The epistles, like 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, etc., etc., those are written, many of them, some, at some point within the narrative of the book of Acts. Does that make sense? So Acts is showing the, this chronological history, and some of these epistles are written during the time of that, the events of the book of Acts, which is interesting because it's always helpful as you read the epistles to be like, hey, where does this fit in with the book of Acts? 
So in the epistle to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians, Paul is speaking about his traveling missionary ministry and the support that he needs, and the financial support that he needs. So if you'll look in 1 Corinthians chapter number 9, this is how he speaks of it. He says, my answer to them that do examine me. What, what do you mean examine? Read the context, it's criticize. There were people criticizing him. You do not want to be at the judgment seat among those who criticize the servant of the Lord, the missionary especially. Unjustly so. I, I can't, like, here's a man who's given his life for the gospel, and they just criticize him. They examine him. They say, are you really, like, we, we don't need to take care of you, Paul. Now look at how he describes it in verse 4. Have we not power, or that means the right? Don't we have the right to eat and to drink? What do you think the answer to that question is? Well, yeah. Don't we have the right to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles and as the brethren of the Lord and Cephas? Or I only and Barnabas, have not we power to forbear working? He says, do you understand what he's saying here? He says, shouldn't we be able to feed ourselves? Shouldn't we be able to, 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 have a, to provide for a wife? Shouldn't we be able to stop working? Now, what, does he mean stop working like be lazy? No, he means shouldn't we be able to just focus on the missionary work? Who goes to war at any time at his own charges? Anybody ever met with a recruiter when you were younger or recently? Anybody ever met with a recruiter? Who has? Who's met with a recruiter before? Okay. <laughs> All right. Can you imagine the recruiter, you know, come, join up. You might have to fight. Great. How much will you pay? We don't pay. You pay. You fund your own, your own uh, um, charges. Paul's using an example. He says, that what doesn't make any sense. Or who plants a vineyard, but nope, you're not allowed to eat any of the food from that vineyard. You can't have any of the fruit. Or feeds a flock, and eateth not of the milk of the flock. Say I th these things as a man, or doesn't the law even say this? For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Now this is a very agrarian illustration that we might not relate to. Has anybody ever seen an old-fashioned, like really old-fashioned grist mill where the wheat goes in and the grist is turning, the stone is turning, and what's it doing? It's grinding the, it's grinding the wheat. This is his example. But what they would do is they'd have the giant wheel that grinds the wheat and they would attach a harness to an ox to turn that heavy wheel. He would go around and around in circles, grinding the, the corn. And so a very greedy and unkind grist mill operator, for lack of a better term, would put a muzzle on the ox. Why would they put the muzzle on him? Go ahead. So he wouldn't eat the grain. Now, how much grain are you going to lose, bud, 
from that poor ox just going around and around. And so in the law, you weren't allowed to put a muzzle on the ox because if the, if the ox is going to work really hard to produce the grain for you, the least you can do, the least you can do is feed the, feed the animal, right? And Paul says this, does God take care for oxen? Paul's point here is, is this, like, it's not that God doesn't care about the oxen, but it's that there's a more important principle than just whether the ox has a muzzle or not. Or saith he it altogether for our sakes. For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and he that thresheth in, thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? The principle is this. If we send people out on the gospel mission and we do not care for them financially, we are like people who would put a muzzle on an ox. Except it's worse. Because these are people who are caring for the most important ministry of all, which is the, the, the spiritual work of getting the gospel out there. We're obligated to. So I don't, like, there's a joy in giving, and there's faith and, and, and a wonderful experience, but we also need to understand that it is a basic New Testament responsibility that we've been given. We have the responsibility to fund the advancement of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Paul taught it very clearly right here. If someone, and then he finishes with this clincher statement, and it's verse number 14. Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of or from, in other words, they should derive their living from their work of preaching the gospel. So as you pray about your part in the mission, I want, I want all of us to realize that we have an obligation. For obedient Christianity, it's not an option. It's a, it's a duty that we have. And so you, you and I need to take that duty seriously. We are sending. The missionary needs financial support. But then it doesn't stop there. They need spiritual support through prayer because on that journey, they are going to face spiritual attacks. The challenges of our missionaries are great. The challenge of the Apostle Paul was great. Look back at Acts chapter 14, uh, or 13 again. So it must have been an exciting day when Paul and, or Saul and Barnabas headed out from Antioch. But it only took a few short days before they came up against their first spiritual attack. In Acts 13, verse number 6, you see a spiritual attack. They get to the first place on that island of Cyprus and they're preaching the gospel 
in the synagogues. In verse number 6, And when they had gone through the isle unto Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus. Verse number 8, This guy, Elisimus, the sorcerer, that was his name, his, the other way of saying his name, he withstood them. Now, again, you need to read this whole passage to get all the full context. I just want you to see, he shows up in the first region. The very first time he starts preaching the gospel, this person who served the powers of darkness tries to stop him. Have you ever faced opposition in your, in your work of, for the Lord? Paul, Paul goes out, and the very first thing he encounters is opposition. It's a good thing he had people back in Antioch praying for him. Read Paul's epistles. Over and over again, he says to the church, pray for us. Pray for us. Pray for me. Why? Because there would be spiritual attacks. Even more, if you go down to verse number 50 of the same chapter, you see another city now. He's in another city. And in this city, the Jews... It wasn't just the, the, the dark satanic sorcerer, but now it's the religious opposition in verse 50. But the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coast. Literally thrown out of a town, told they had to leave. They face opposition immediately. But because they had the power of the Spirit on them, verse 51, but they shook off the dust of their feet against them and came to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. Why? Because there were people back in Antioch prayed for them. Gave them that strength. And you do not know, and I do not know, the unique pressures that our missionary family feel. The pressures on their family. The pressures of living in a different culture. All of the weight that they carry. Some will... We have missionaries on deputation right now. They're, I think of, we had the Davises here. They're... They, they're all the way on the other side of the world in Myanmar. They're here. They're going to have Thanksgiving and whatnot with their families. They're going to go back to Myanmar, and it will be four years at least before they have another Thanksgiving dinner with their family in upstate New York again. It's going to happen. Now, do they pout and whine about it? Not in the least. They love where they are. But how many of you know you can love what you're doing, but also have real emotional struggles for some things lost as well. Two things can, those two things can be true at the same time. And then the spiritual, some, some of our missionaries, they're just in places that are very, very hard. Some places that our missionaries go, they, they're, they're, you know, like, I've had, I've had friends in Honduras, and it seems like if you build a church, give it six months, and that place is filled with people, and the church is growing. But we have missionary friends in in. Verona, Italy, the Planck family that we support in Verona, Italy. And they're thrilled to have eight or ten people show up for a service after years of investing there. And it's just one at a time, one at a time. 
The ministry in the Bronx isn't an easy ministry. There's difficulties that they face. This is, but they're, again, they would not be here asking you to feel bad for them. My point isn't for you to feel bad for them. They are doing an amazing work. God is giving them untold blessings. But we have a responsibility to send them. And sending isn't just bye, right? Sending is here. Go with our blessing. Go with our financial support. Go with our support. They, exactly. This is, but not just financial, spiritual, but they need physical protection as well. This is the most astounding thing on Paul's first missionary journey. First missionary journey, Acts chapter 14 and verse number 19. And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. If you're just doing a quick reading, you miss. They literally took him out of town, put, either tied him up or put him down in a pit, and they took stones and they pummeled him what they thought was to death. They gave him a beating and they thought for sure there's no way he survived, he's dead. First missionary journey. But Paul's got two more in him to go. Paul's going to keep, he's going to keep going. And what's amazing, in verse number 20, what happens? How be it? As the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city. And the next day he departed. Did you miss what he did? He got up, beaten nearly to death, and where did he go? He went back. He went back to the city. And for those of you that know your New Testament well, there was a little young man, probably a boy at this time, in that city, and his name was Timothy. Years later, Paul's going to come back to this city when Timothy's grown up. And Timothy's going to go with Paul on his journey. But right now, in Acts chapter 14, Timothy's just a young boy. And he watches Paul take a, a beating with stones and come back. We need to pray for physical protection for our missionaries. Now, it's been said, the safest place you can be is in the center of God's will. It's safer for you to be in the jungle of Papua New Guinea, if that's where God wants you, than for you to be here in our comfortable home, if we're out of the will of God. But at the same time, there's dangers. As, as you meet the Hamilton family on, Wednesday, on Friday night, seven children being raised in the inner city, Right? What would you do if it was, how would you pray if it was your grandkids being raised in the heart of the Bronx? How would you pray? If it was your brother bringing his family there, if it was your, how would you pray? But they are our family. Right? 
We sent them there. We sent them there. This is the mission. It's the mission that we're a part of. Pray for their finances and support them. Pray for the, the spiritual attacks they face. Pray for physical protection. And then pray and be an encouragement. Be an encouragement. How, look what happens. After all of this journey and travel, fast forwarding the whole thing to the end of chapter 14, verse 24, and after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia, and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia and thence sailed to where? Back to Antioch. From whence they had been recommended. They come back to report. They leave Antioch. They go on their missionary journey. And they come back to Antioch to report about the work which they fulfilled. See? From whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. The church said, hey, you're the ones to go fulfill the work. Go fulfill it. And they come back and they say, we did it. This is what we've done. This is what we've accomplished. And when they were come and had gathered, who together? When they had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them. And how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. When they were come and had gathered the church together. I'm asking the church, as your pastor, to gather together. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Because I think we owe it to the missionary families. I just believe that we do. I've said it before, I want my kids to understand that the heroes of the Christian life are not athletes and, and musicians and movie stars, but the heroes of the Christian life, the heroes of the world, friends, are missionaries. They are modern day heroes of the faith. And if God would call you to be a missionary, I can't think of a more incredible calling in the world. You say, well, isn't it, isn't it, isn't it just, um, you know, whatever God calls you to, you should do? Of course you should. But man, what an amazing thing. What a high calling to bring the gospel to places that have not heard of Jesus. So, if this gospel is real, if this message, if this mission is serious, then we as a church need to pray. We need to set time aside and we need to focus on this mission, on mobilizing the mission on what part God would have us to have in it. So we're going to end a little differently today. I, I, I almost Always give a gospel invitation. And, and I'm just going to do this. If you are here and you'd say, boy, Ethan, you guys really take this thing pretty seriously. We do because it's about Jesus paying for our sins and giving us salvation. If you've never been saved, if you're not sure you're a Christian, I would love to talk with you about that. 
speak with me after the service and we can talk about how you can know that you have a personal relationship with Jesus. Because that's what we send our missionaries to do, to give the gospel. But this is, this is really just a talk this morning for our church. And I hope you picked up my burden. It's just, to, it's just for every one of you, every one of us, to just, to just get it. To understand how vital the heartbeat of missions is to our church and to our faithfulness as Christians. So for our invitation this morning, I just want us all to start our week of prayer. Start a week of prayer right now this morning, to say, Lord, how much do you want me to give? Lord, how can I be more involved? Lord, if you call me, I'll go. Lord, I will embrace your mission. I will embrace your call. Can we do that together right now? We just pray. Each and every person at your seat and in your place. Please, I'd encourage you, let the Holy Spirit move in your heart. Don't just don't just be like, all right, well, this will end in a, in a minute or two. We're going to let the, the, the Spirit lead as we pray. I don't need any musicians to come up other than the piano that will softly play. I just want every person praying. This is how we're going to finish this morning. Let's go to the Lord. As they fasted and prayed, the Holy Ghost separated Barnabas and Saul. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the strength that you've built into this body of Christ here at Mount Greylock Baptist Church. Thank you for the men and women and children that comprise our church family. You've placed each one of us in the body as you, according to your master plan, so, so carefully fit together. Lord, give us more strength. I pray that you'd strengthen our church. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that hunger for your word. I pray that we would be a church that is burdened for lost souls. Lord, give us a, a passion to reach our friends and our neighbors with the good news of Jesus. Lord, you are a good God. You are great. Your salvation is so free. And thank you, Jesus, for your blood that you shed and for the, your resurrection power that fills us. Lord, we believe your mission. We believe that the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, that you have empowered us, you've enabled us, you've equipped us. But we believe that we have a, a special calling. Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But we have a wonderful missions program, but we would love to support more missionaries. We'd love to give more money to our missionaries. We'd love to support them better. And I don't know, I don't know, Lord, what you have planned for this next year. But I believe by faith that you will, you will do a work in this church. Lord, I believe by faith that you will speak to hearts. Lord, I believe that if we are surrendered, Lord, you will use us to do things that we couldn't have even imagined. So I pray for each man and woman, Lord, to, to just hear your voice as they read the Bible, as they pray, as, as they pray about missions, Lord, just show them 
speak to them so they'd know exactly the number to write on that faith promise card. I pray for our children, Lord. I pray that they would see a missionary zeal in us. Lord, I pray that you'd... Lord, and we as parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles, Lord, we surrender our kids to you. If you would call them to the mission field, Lord, I, I, I give you my children, and I hope that others are praying that same with me right now. Lord, they're yours. I think of many young people, teenagers, young adults, making life decisions. Lord, I pray that they'd be open and surrendered to missions. Lord, they may, there may be somebody in our midst that you want to separate out and send. I pray that you'd bless Friday and Saturday night. I pray that we would encourage each other, but mo more importantly, help us to encourage our missionaries. Lord, help them to, to just sense a spirit-filled church and the power of the Holy Spirit here. Please bless our conference. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we look forward to the day when we'll all, all the churches and all the believers from all the nations, Lord, will all stand before you and cry, worthy is the Lamb. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' wonderful and precious name, amen. All right, well, we're going to dismiss. It's uh, gone a little bit long, so we don't need to have our closing hymn today. Let's just all stand together. And um, as we go out, as we go out today, remember, there's also a mission field out there. So somebody maybe that you're witnessing to, somebody that you've been uh, giving the gospel to, pray for them. Speak the name of Jesus. Be a missionary as we dismiss. Thanks for being here today. You are dismissed.